Hey, Prime members, you can listen to Ion Veterans ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the app today. This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you can have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. It's three o'clock somewhere. Time for a My Mochi ice cream snack. My Mochi ice cream is cool, creamy scoops of premium ice cream wrapped in sweet, pillowy dough. And get this. All of My Mochi's fabulous flavors like strawberry, mango, double chocolate, and cookies and cream are only around 80 calories per piece. Talk about a guilt-free, indulgent experience. Each box of My Mochi ice cream has six perfectly portioned, gluten-free mochis that are great for grab-and-go. So feel good while curbing your afternoon cravings or the midnight munchies. Yeah, you know who you are with the joyfully chill sensation of My Mochi ice cream. Find My Mochi ice cream at Target or visit MyMochi.com to locate a grocery store near you. There are nearly 20 million military vets in the U.S. And each week, we focus on their stories. This is CBS Ion Veterans. Welcome back to CBS Eye on Veterans. I am Navy veteran Phil Briggs reporting for ConnectingVets.com. And today we're going to talk mental health. We're going to talk about an incredible new app that reveals what's going on inside a person. And we're going to talk about psychedelic medicine and why it's time to start having a serious conversation about psychedelic therapy. Now, look, over the past decade, more and more people have had their lives improved forever with psychedelic and plant-based medicines, and they all recognize that these therapies are an effective weapon against anxiety, brain injuries, depression, and the other things that just really bother American society today. The problematic wounds that linger long after war often result in suicide, and I think everything we're going to talk about today is on the road to treating it effectively and getting away from the treatments that are given out now that just simply don't work. Our guest is Jonathan Wilson, a former Navy SEAL. And on paper, this guy's a stud. I mean, right out of Hollywood Central Casting, he's tall, he's handsome, studied at Harvard, Oxford, a heavy hitter at one time at Goldman Sachs, till it all came crashing down and almost ended his life. Now, thanks to psychedelic therapy and the new pursuit of great mental health, he's a successful dad, a husband, and a CEO with a new app called Envy Mind Health, designed to monitor mental health with real-time data, AI, person-to-person interactions, and he's working with top-tier scientists and academics, and it's showing real promise when it comes to helping anyone struggling with mental health issues, which, let's face it, is way more than just veterans. So with that, let's say hi to my fellow Navy veteran, Jonathan Wilson. How are you? Hey, I'm good, brother. Thanks for having me. 
Yeah, man. Super good to hear from you. And as I noted in our conversation before we started, you know, you're not one of the top names I see out there, which is why I was so pleased to hear your story because it's kind of been off the radar. It's not necessarily, you know, you didn't go write the book. You're not like the joke we give every Navy SEAL. You know, you didn't go make a beer brand or a hair gel or a, or like an energy drink. Uh, you've just been kind of flying under the radar. And dealing, you know, with yourself and now, uh, sharing those experiences to help others. Let's talk real quick. Catch me up. Um, you're a team guy. Let's go over some, you know, no OPSEC violations here, but as a SEAL, sure. uh, tell me about some of the, uh, shall we say fun and interesting things you did? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, this is going to be a little awkward. Uh, the book gets released in about two weeks and then the hair gel pro. I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> He's so <laughs> happy. <laughs> Um, yeah, no, so, uh, I, I ended up, um, coming in the SEALs in the early 2000s and, uh, initially went to Team Four, did a, multiple deployments to Baghdad, uh, did deployments to Afghanistan, Africa, South America over my career, Colombia. I joke Chile. If you've never been to Chile, you gotta go. Like it's, it's amazing. So Chile was a deployment for us and, I always thank taxpayers, which includes us. So thank you, taxpayers, for putting me and the team into a shared hotel on the coast of Vigno del Mar, giving us $130 per diem a day. We ate more red steak and red. Oh, it was just, it was amazing. <laughs> I, I'm kidding. I mean, we were, we were working out of the embassy. Great times. But that, that was uh, essentially the career in, in a 30 second clip. Um, you know, yeah. it was, I mean, overall, uh, you know, the beginning of the war, there was a lot of uh, violence. As we, as we all know, there's a lot of death and destruction and um, a lot of compartmentalization, which you, you mentioned in the queue up to, to, to describing me. It's just like everything on paper looks great. The reality is a lot of us uh, inside compartmentalized a lot of stuff. And uh, when it was time to transition, we didn't have a boot camp or an academy or an RTC to coach us on how to get out and acclimate. And it comes out, man. And uh, I don't know how your transition was for you, but all that and then a lot more stuff that we just kept putting away and hiding all came out and it comes out fast and furious and um, you're not really sure how to deal with it. So not to get too far ahead, but I just wanted to kind of share some of that. Yeah. You talk about some of the deployments there, Baghdad. Did you see the cities like Fallujah, Ramadi, you know, some of the hell to pay that was in, during the surge? So we were based out of um, Baghdad proper. So um, we worked out of there. We flew all around Iraq. So we, we went to different cities. We definitely went down to those areas, a couple others, Najaf and, and some other uh, areas uh, around, around Baghdad. But uh, we were based out of there, usually flew in, flew out and occasionally did some convoys. Um, so yeah, hit those cities as well. Yeah, I've talked to several people that have served over there, especially during that surge era when there was just so many of us trying, trying to establish some sort of ground game so we could, you know, help stand up a better form of life for those people. And, uh, yeah, uh, yeah. Some of the stuff that you guys had to deal with, I, I'm sure haunting to say the least before we dive into how we're treating it. It seems as though we talk to a lot of, we talk to a lot of operators, you know, when I deal with the mental health space and I don't want the listener to get confused. You know, we don't pick the operations community because it's sexy or because, you know, Hey, I just want the greatest stories and I want the next lone survivor, but it is rather disproportionate. Would you say that the Ranger community, the seal community, uh, you know, those people that are real 11 Bravo on the fighting end of combat 
it seems that the mental health issues are almost kind of disproportionately affecting the operator community. In your experience, have you found that to be true? You know, I, I don't have the statistics or the data around that. I would say um, my focus when I got out, when I transitioned out of uh, out of Goldman and uh, we created the nonprofit, has been laser focused on my community, so SEALs, mm. uh, SEAL families, et cetera. So I've been head down with that. As that time has progressed, uh, we've opened the aperture and realized, wait a second, like it's not just our problems. Like we're not the only ones with this. So we've been helping others, you know, the Marines, uh, Army as well. Um, as I've gotten more exposure to some of the, the different units, uh, yes, I do think it's combat related, but I do think we all carry a lot of trauma from different parts of our lives. Maybe it isn't, isn't war. Maybe it is training the stuff that happens when you're in the military. You know, uh, we try our best to protect, protect the troops, but just the, the nature of, uh, of being in the fort and the armed forces, as you, as you remember, there's some, there's just some inappropriate things that happen to both males and females, uh, you know, when they're serving on the enlisted ranks and officers. So I think there's trauma there. And then let's, let's be real. Like who doesn't have childhood trauma? You know what I mean? Like there's some that's happened in your, in your past and, and maybe it's bullying. Maybe it's some stuff with your parents, uh, divorce. Like we all have some stuff. So, um, to, to answer your question, I think I think we all carry a lot of traumas. Um, I do focus more on the special forces community. In the last few years, we pivoted away from that because we realized, like to your point, everybody wants to help us. I mean, there's probably 70 Navy SEAL nonprofits, and I started one of them. Uh, how about the infantry guy that doesn't have? Let's start focusing our energy on the guys that were patrolling in the middle of the day in Fallujah and lost half their platoon, and now they lost the rest of their platoon to suicide. Like, where's their nonprofits? So that's where we've been focusing our energy as of recently. So well said, and I'm glad you kind of went there because that's what I was trying to draw out is that I didn't even realize until most recently when I entered my fifth decade and I sadly lost my brother. Um, I had to watch my brother die of cancer over Zoom. And it brought about all these things and these anxieties and these waves of like negativity that I just couldn't get out of my own way some days. And some days just didn't want to get up, didn't want to get off the couch. And I realize I'm going through something now. And as my brain is aging, as I'm getting older, I wasn't a warfighter that saw ground combat, but you are so right. There is trauma in all your lives, whether you were just a grunt and you don't belong to a fancy organization or whether you are just somebody whose life has been turned upside down by death of a family member, death of a of a child. Uh, maybe it's your own medical diagnosis you're reeling from. You don't go around the track without hitting the wall at some time. And I think what we're getting ready to unpack here are some incredible ways and and a great life story here to share that is an example of how we need to find effective ways to do it that are not just simply in the bottom of a darn pill bottle. So with that, let's talk about your first transition. You actually did this twice, kind of. I found this curious. SEAL team guy, get out. And you are on an incredible trajectory. I'm talking Goldman Sachs. We're going to be an investment banker, lovely wife. You got kids. Uh, Look at you. You're just the happiest yuppie in the burbs, right? But uh, I guess it didn't go so well. Talk to me about that. Yeah. I mean, that's that was it. On paper, everything looked great, right? Inside, something was brewing. I didn't know how to transition is what it came down to. I didn't know what my skill sets were. Um, 
I didn't know how all the things that we did in the teams or in the military transition. I didn't even know how to articulate it. Like you should have seen my first interview, like trying to describe, well, I was a team leader, you know, I I was a sniper and, you know, we had to calculate. So I'm good with math. So I know how to do ballistic coefficients. So like maybe I I can unpack a, a model here and tell you like, you know, what the basis points for this, like what that, you know, it was ridiculous. It was ridiculous. So I didn't have a mentor. We, I mean, to 2012 was, or I guess this was 2011 when this happened initially, like there was no programs out there to help us. It was just yeah. like, thank you for your service. Um, and good luck on the other, other side. Um, and that's, that's honestly what it felt like. And I'm not pointing fingers. Like, I don't think the military is in, you know, it's not set up to help people transition. It's focused on creating war fighters and protecting our freedoms. So, I'm not saying it's it's their responsibility, but there was a massive gap. Mm. Um, so got in and, you know, I, I got blindsided with um, all the things that I wasn't following. What I was focused on was like make as much money as possible because that's what everybody tells you to do and go to the best firm because that's what everybody tells you to do. And then quote unquote, that's successful. Like you made it. Like, how are you not happy? You're living in Connecticut. You got a beautiful house that was built in the 1800s. You got a farm. For the first time in my life, we didn't come from from money. My my father was in the army; he was enlisted, and um, I mean, there was times that we sold. He, he shared with me he sold plasma to f- put food on the table. So for the first time in my life, I actually had money, and it was awesome. Like I could take my family out to dinner. We could go on a vacation. I could take one of my kids. It was, and yet, I got blindsided because what I didn't realize was deep down inside, we're driven by a few things. I believe. One is we have to serve others. It's just the nature of who we are. I really believe that those that serve, uh, that go into service, there's, there's, you know, there's different reasons, but when they walk away, they have just spent however many years serving the country, serving people that can't protect themselves. It's not going to die. It's not going to go away. So I needed to continue to serve. And my, my new mission was to make as much money as possible. And oh, by the way, don't help your teammates because if you help your teammates, your bottom 20%, and then you're going to, you're going to get fired. So wait, hold on a second. I just came from the SEAL teams and I know unequivocally if I help my teammate, I put, I go back to back with my teammate. Like we're going to walk out of this crazy chaotic situation. It's better to work in a team. And you're telling me, no, we work in isolation and silos. And if I do help him and I share information and they benefit from that, then their numbers go up. My PL goes down. Boom, I'm fired. So all these just conundrums were happening for me. My purpose needed to be, again, of service needed to be bigger. And I didn't have any of those things. So all these emotions that you were describing, and I'm sorry to hear about your brother, um, they started coming up similar. I mean, death is, you know, I, I, I have compartmentalized a lot of stuff. I never addressed it. Buried a lot of friends, a lot of their Arlington, uh, you know, cemetery. And, um, and then you start compounding that with like my mission now is to make as much money as possible. Oh, it was killing me. So, um, it all came out in Target, believe it or not. Um, I'm walking through Target. Uh, I think I got sent in to go get some light bulbs and that. I didn't realize at the time too, I was hyper vigilant. I just walked off the battlefield. I was putting my back in the corner on the subway, like always scanning and looking for threats. Yeah, exactly. Um, but I'm in Target. I'm already off because I hate everybody. I don't want to be in Target. I don't like being around other people. And I got to go to the light bulb, find the light bulb aisle. I couldn't find it. It's a two-store Target. It's chaos. I finally find it. I walk in the light bulb aisle and the lights are flashing and boom, got dropped right back into where I was at in Iraq and Afghanistan. And I had to close my eyes and I felt all these emotions come up. I didn't know what was going on. 
And I had to close my eyes, walk myself out, and I put myself into a corner of Target until I could kind of decompress and calm down. And that was the first time I had an anxiety attack. I didn't know what anxiety attacks were. And oh, by the way, I was a teen guy. I don't have anxiety attacks. Um, depression started following that. Um, I was sad all the time. I didn't want to do anything with my family. They're super loving. They wanted to do things, go camping, go to dinner. And I just isolated. I didn't know what was going on. I didn't know how to fix it. Um, suicide ideation started happening. I started just driving and thinking how easy would it be to send this off the bridge right here. And I got to a point where I realized, okay, something's really wrong. Um, let me figure out what I can do. My first trip to the VA, I couldn't find parking for an hour and I got scolded. So now I'm having mental health issues and now I'm getting yelled at by the, the, the admin lady saying, how, you know, why are you late? I just turned around and walked out. So that was my first attempt. Uh, the problems compounded. I went back, uh, gave myself a buffer to get into the VA. Uh, so it still took as long and parked, sat down, talked to them. This is 2012. And I don't really think they were trained or understood how to deal with uh, the demographic of the warfighter. And that conversation just ended pretty abruptly, partially my ego and me being defensive and question how they don't understand. But um you know, that, that, that journey went on to antidepressants, went on to trying everything, man. I tried everything, talk therapy out in the civilian world. There's just none of, none of it was working. And all of those symptoms just kept compounding. The suicide ideations ramped up. I didn't know what was going on. And, um, I found my healing and I'll share the story here in a second, but I found my healing through psychedelics. Yeah. In fact, uh, we'll get to that in just a second. Based on an interview I saw you do earlier. You'd left the teams, yeah, gone investment banking, got out, yeah. actually went back to the SEAL teams for a while, yeah? Yeah. And then when you got out again, kind of your second transition, not only did you have that that you just shared, but you'd actually moved out or decided that you might be better off without your family because of what you're going through. So where I was at, it wasn't me. It was my wife. It was my kids. It was you. It was everybody else was the problem. And, um, I always joke, I would rather get shot at and go to war than get trade stocks at Goldman Sachs. I'm kidding though. Goldman was, let me, let me be clear. Goldman was phenomenal for me. It oh, wasn't yeah, yeah. great. Yeah. Fit in the role. They were great for my family. I'm so grateful for that opportunity. So to, to your point there, um, I had gotten to a point where just nobody was getting me. And it was just like, everybody was so like, it wasn't me, it was you. And I ended up, again, I, I mentioned we on paper, everything you know looks great, but all these things were happening. I had a beautiful home. I packed up and I left, got an apartment, um, abandoned my family, didn't want anything to do with them. It got, it got pretty dark during that, that time. I think one saving grace, I was in a good enough place to realize if I started drinking, um, I didn't drink during that time. And if I started drinking, I don't know if we'd be having this conversation. So I'm, I'm grateful to have that thought process and the ability to, to, to push away from that because, you know, let's be honest, the Navy has a drinking problem. The SEAL teams have a real drinking problem. And I knew if I went down that path, I'd make bad decisions and uh, I didn't know where I was going to lead. So I opted to, to abstain from alcohol at the time. No judgment on drinking. I don't care if people drink. But for me, I think that saved my life just to have the maturity to say, hey, we're not drinking at this time. 
slippery slope too as it is. We all self-medicate some way, somehow. Sometimes we get addicted to fitness. Sometimes we get addicted to foods. And, and I mean, you can get addicted to anything that helps you cope. But uh, one, super glad Allison stuck around and that your family, you know, was able to bridge this, which is where we're getting into now. Also, what stands out is a story you told about one of your brothers who was on the teams. And I want to say like a dev guru guy, right? He was a team six guy and he was kicked out for drinking, which as you uh-huh. mentioned in that last statement, if you get kicked out of the SEAL teams for drinking, I mean, like you really have a problem because there's plenty of drinking going on in the combat military. Um, oh, yeah. Talk to me about that meeting, because I think that's what maybe opened the door to considering psychedelic medicine. Yeah, spot on. That is exactly what happened. So I'm, I'm, Still going through this process, trying to figure out what's wrong with me, but um, playing the game, if you will. Like, hey, there's a barbecue. I'd usually turn them down, but it was some buddies I hadn't seen. One of the guys there was like, no, dude, just come to the barbecue. Stop acting. Stop being selfish. And he was like, hey, stop feeling sorry for yourself, dude. Get off the couch. Let's go see some buddies. So fine. I'll do that. The guy that you described had gotten kicked out for drinking. And to your point, if you get kicked out of the SEAL teams for drinking... And then the Navy for drinking, we got a real issue on our hand, right? So, um, unfortunately, there was a, yeah, he had a pretty big problem like most of us did, but his was big enough to get kicked out. And, uh, I remember him saying, you know, he, he was back at his mom's place and just staring at the wall for hours on end and had a pistol by his side and was pretty damn close. Like when I saw him last, he was obese. I mean, you know, when people drink heavily, you can see it in their face. There's, you know, kind of the red lines and, um, he just didn't look healthy. And, and we all honestly, I, I didn't know when I was, if I would see him ever again. So now you fast forward, I'm feeling sorry for myself. I get, you know, my, my buddies would call me a piece of crap, like get your ass off the couch. I'm like, fine, go to this barbecue. Dude comes up and say, like, Hey, what's up, Johnny? Gives me a big hug. And I look at this guy kind of like lean back. I'm like, who is this guy? And he, he reads it right away. He's like, dude, it's Will. And I was like, Will. Like I was just so embarrassed. I didn't know who it was. And he shares his last name. I'm like, holy. He looked phenomenal. He was literally glowing. Like I, I, I can't even tell you. I can't describe it. He was glowing. Like the smile was contagious. Like I was smiling. I wasn't smiling at that time in my life, but I was smiling because he was smiling and his hair was long. He had an aura. Like he had that whole light around him, like just this halo. And I was just like, what the, what'd you, what'd you, he's like, dude. And he proceeds to tell me he was on the verge and, um, and then he, have another buddy of ours approach him about psychedelic medicine. And I heard psychedelic and I kind of took like a half step back. I was like, where the f- is he going with this? Again, like we're in the teams, we're in the Navy, we're in the military. You don't do drugs or I didn't do it growing up. And then he shares with me how he went down there and how it saved his life. I'm thinking, dude, like you, you went down and did drugs. Like help me understand. Like, what, what do you mean? So I, I had this like, armor up and from the knowledge that I was given from, from just years of listening to dare and psychedelics for bad and the war on drugs and all this other stuff. So I, I kind of walked away with a little bit of like confusion, judgment, like I did like good for him, but he's doing drugs now, but he planted a seed or what I would say is a spore and that blossomed. And I hopped on the internet and I just started looking at the research and I don't know how much time you spent looking at this research. I've spent probably the equivalent of weeks. Um, I went as far as flying out to meet some lead researchers in the UK. Um, the research, it, it, it is real. I mean, 
it blows my mind how we are not further along with psychedelics because if 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 we just look at the research and the impact that this is having on folks with depression, anxiety, PTSD, now we're looking at TBI, like it's mind boggling that we're not further along. So it got me to a point where I was like, hey, Will, and this is probably months later, I finally was comfortable enough to call him and have the conversation. Things weren't getting better for me. I was like, tell me a little bit more. What's going like what what is this about? And next thing you know, I'm on a plane going down to Mexico and I did a psychedelic drug called Ibogaine and boy, did that rock my, that rocked my life uh, or, or that rocked everything. It was a hard experience for me. As mentioned, I compartmentalized a lot of stuff. It was a beautiful experience at the same time. I purged, I threw up quite a bit during that process. Um, I was able to unpack a lot of stuff that I never could before. I got perspective that I never could before. I got to realize how everybody else was trying to help me and I couldn't see it. And that my way is my view doesn't mean it's the right way. I've never walked a day in your shoes, man. How do I know what you've been through? Like you shared with me about your brother, but what about all the other stuff that's happened in your life that has gotten you into a spot where you formulate that opinion? How dare I think I can challenge that? Let's have a conversation. Cool. And let's walk away, best friends. But um, man, that's not where I was at prior to that medicine. So that weekend just rocked me. And um, I felt for the first time a love for myself like I've never felt in a long time, dude. In fact, dive into that just a little bit because I remember from a video interview I saw of you at the University of Pennsylvania, um, the woman that spoke before you on the panel described her experience. And I don't know if as I began or if it was psilocybin mushrooms or, or what kind of psychedelic she was using to treat her mental health. But she said it felt like at one point she was able to look at everything that was haunting her and it was like feeling like God's love. Open up a little bit about what washed over you. What was it that it felt like the medicine was doing inside your brain? I mean, it felt like this whole thing was just on fire. The brain was just like operating. And if you look at some of the scans that they do when people are on psychedelics, like you can see what the brain looks like uh, from the neurotransmitters talking. And and they talk um, in certain ways because those are what we call patterns or behaviors. So like you look at a brain and there's connectivity going on, obviously, but there's those, those patterns. When you look at somebody that's on psychedelics, the whole brain is lit up. So creating those new neural connections and pathways and it is just on fire. So it felt like my brain was just like the 10% or whatever we say that we use was like a hundred percent is what it felt like. And I've never felt anything like that before. My first, um, like visual that came up was my parents and, uh, dude, crystal clear. Um, third grade birthday. I knew where I was at. It was in our home in Bangor, Maine. And uh, I saw my mom, like every detail about her when she was that old and my father and like my friends were there. I, I didn't even know this memory was in my head, man. I saw the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle cake. I saw Leonardo as the candle on the cake. Like I'm telling you, I saw every detail about that. And it was just, I'm looking at it and I'm just like, oh my God, they love me so much. They ended up getting divorced and um, we had some, you know, it wasn't a tough upbringing, but we, we, we had some conflict growing up like most most people do in their families, right? So as I got older, I, I kind of resented them. I was like, you didn't, you didn't give me the opportunity to set me up the way that I think you should have. And all these like egotistical thoughts started creeping in my head. Look what I'm doing with my family. Why didn't you do that with me? And 
go back to that third birthday on that first visual I had, and I was like, they loved me so much. And they had some challenges too. Like my father didn't have his um, dad around, like left him, abandoned him, right? So like my dad is trying the best that he could with what he knew how to do. He didn't have a role model to teach him that. And my mom was from Panama and they had, you know, a tough relationship, but at the end of the day, they loved me with everything. And that's what I was able to see. And that's the first like feeling or wave of love that came over me was the acknowledgement that, man, they do love me. They just tried the very best they could. No judgment around that. Give them some slack. I also, as it, as it progressed, I, you know, I, I saw, I felt the same thing with my children. Like my children came up to me. It's just like, we, we love you. And just seeing my kids just tell me that. Dude, I was bawling. Like it was a release like I've never had before. Just like free flow, probably a bucket full of tears. My wife, you know, since then she's done her own medicine journey. And I tell people now, like we've been married for, you know, 20 years, five kids, and we weren't in a relationship. I've never been in a relationship until she came back from medicine, did her medicine journey. And that was the first time because now she knew how to love herself. I knew how to love myself. Now we can open up to one another and be completely vulnerable. It's not perfect. Let me let me be clear. It's not. Um, but by God, um, like it was the first time in like 17 years, 18 years that I've ever been, that I was actually in a relationship and loving towards my wife and felt the same thing in return. Man, that's, that's so awesome. Yeah. I love how the patients that have experienced it use the word love so often. And I also love how people can reframe either a trauma or a bad memory and look at it without sure. that fight or flight mechanism. Whereas I think, and back me up here if you think this, the cognitive behavioral therapy is certainly a tried and true part of psychology and i know sitting yeah. on a couch with some kleenex and talking to a trained professional is a is a release and a way to address it but this seems to take it a step further where you can have those memories have those thoughts and then reframe them while you're thinking about them because you're so full of this god's love if you will yeah yeah no it's uh it's well said I've heard this described as uh 20 years of talk therapy in one night right and i think there's some truth to that you know, all those, all those memories that I compartmentalized, even the childhood stuff. So most of my first experience was kind of what I just described. My family, my parents, my sister, it wasn't the war stuff. So if you think about it, like, what is the root cause of me going into SEALs? Maybe it was me trying to prove something to my father. I don't know. Like, I'm not a psychologist, psychiatrist, but like, if you start going really deep, there's a root cause here. And most of our root causes go way back before war, way back before we started, way back before being a firefighter. It's, it's a family. So being able to unpack that and get released from that and, and reframe that is like, parents suck. They're, they're horrible parents. They left me and they got divorced. Like, and then seeing them with the, unequivocal amount of love they poured into me and my sister trying the very best that they could. It's like, Oh dude, you're an idiot, Johnny. You missed it, bro. But like, that's okay. No judgment. Like now, you know, and everything else started unwinding post that. It's like, okay, I dealt with that. Let's move on to the next thing. Uh, so it was beautiful. It allowed us to reframe some of the hardest things in my life, um, in our lives and just look at them with the different lens for the first time. Not like, Hey, that, that try to, trying to screw me over it was like hey that person probably has a lot of stuff going on in their lives and maybe they have to deal with some other stuff and yes they took it out on you but that's not because of you that's that is entirely something that's going on internally to them 
So cool to hear that. And I love how you were able to kind of establish or, or, or the brain chose those memories to show you to even get you to realize that there might be something even greater than war. There might be something greater than your career that's bugging you. It might be oh, yeah. that search for dad's approval. And you were able to see that because of the card out of the deck. Psychedelics pulled out for you to see. It's like your brain's got all these cards in it, and it pulled the random one, showed it to you that you suddenly were like, oh, that's what I was missing yeah. this whole time. That's why I've been chasing Harvard, Oxford, Goldman, Seals. 100%. You nailed it, too. Dude, that's awesome, man. Uh, I know that you jumped initially into trying to serve others and, and, and do some things. Tell me about the first organization you founded to try to help other seals. Of course, you've had your psychedelic therapy. You're kind of on a good path. You know, giving back is now crucial for your own yeah. success and, and to thrive, but you went to give back and I'm not going to say it failed, but it, it didn't address the totality that Envy Mind Health does. Yeah. So talk to me about your first foray into helping fellow SEALs. So uh, that transition at Goldman, I remember, I mean, it was just, I was up at 3.45 every morning to hop on the train to get into, to on the Amtrak to get to the train on time to get to Wall Street on time. And um, I was gone more on all Wall Street than I ever was on the teams. Multiple dinners after work. So yeah, the market closes. That's great. But you got clients you got to take out and it's multiple clients. So we're taking out clients and get down at midnight. And so I had a good buddy that was, uh, his name was Brian Martelli. He was at Deutsche Bank at the time and he was supportive of the SEAL community. He knew a couple of my brothers and had a, had a place there. He had, we, we became really close. So he was like, Johnny, dude, this is insane. You get done at midnight. You got to get up at 345. Just crash with me when you want. So I literally crashed with him for probably a month straight. I didn't go see my family because it was just, I was too exhausted to, to take the train out to, you know, out of town. So. Um, and as, as I was sitting there, I was like, man, I'm having a really hard time with this. I'm lacking purpose. I'm, I'm, I'm missing the brothers. I don't know if I can do this dude. And he was like, man, you got to understand the skill sets and here's how they translate. And we're sitting there having these conversations almost every night when work was done. And one day there was just an epiphany. He's like, dude, it's not just you. It's, it's all veterans. And oh, by the way, you're telling me there's no solutions right now. Well, Dude, what would you do if you were in the teams and there was no solutions? You can create one. So let's let's build one. So Brian Martelli and I sat down and, and we ended up starting the Seal Future Foundation. At the time, it was called the Seal Future Fund. Everybody thought we were a hedge fund, so probably not the best to start a a, a fund in New York <laughs> City. You should probably call it a foundation. Although there was a couple of people that wanted to invest, I should have taken some of the, the fund money. I would have probably got in trouble, but. Um, <laughs> So we start this and the initial thing was let's do scholarships because that thought, you know, that was the big gap. Let's give out scholarships. So these guys got GI bills, they got yellow ribbon, but it's not covered if they go to Ivy League schools. They're not getting the whole gambit. Uh, and then it was like the next problem set arose. It was just like, Hey, I'm moving back to wherever in Ohio and I have no friends, I have no peers. And I'm like, Oh yeah, I experienced that. I was at Goldman. I had no, none of my brothers there. So let's, let's build a community. We call them FOBs, forward operating bases. We have probably 30 of them around the country now. And it's, not just SEALs and no judgment of the VFW, but if you put all veterans in a room, we're going to drink and we're going to tell war stories. And there's a place and time for that. But what we wanted to do was help these men acclimate into their new new communities and continue to serve. So 50% veterans, 50% civilians, like let's help these, uh, let's find some purpose in what we can do to help this community grow. So the next problem um, that we were working on was job placement in aligned companies. So for me, Goldman, the role that I would was in wasn't a great fit. I would have probably, you know, if I, if we were a sales trader, would have been a better fit. 
But um, let's find those companies that think like we did in the military, like put their people first, um, are doing something for a greater cause and live by their values. So we we started uh, partnering with organizations and then creating content, helping the guys think through just basically telling us like our stories, sharing our stories of how we failed, developing the content. And um, huge miss on our part, on my part was um, when we had, unfortunately, a good friend of ours, we we're meeting with him. I think it was Monday and the day before he FaceTimed his wife and committed suicide. It rocked our community. He was a senior, senior leader in the, in the SEAL teams. It rocked our organization because that was, you know, unfortunately it's not the last, but that was the first suicide and it, and it exposed the biggest gap of all. And that's, that's wellness. That's, you know, just helping these men with their, their mental health, the TBI, just overall, like we cannot be putting these men and women into roles until we start addressing some of the trauma that they have in their lives. So we created at the organization, our wellness pillar after the suicide. And we threw a whoop on every single guy. So wearable tech that monitors is used for athletes to to uh, monitor strain and recovery. So should you be working out? How much can you work out? Or should you recover today? Because if you don't do this, you're going to get injured. So they look at heart rate variability. They look at heart rate, sleep, et cetera. And we used it because there's a team dashboard to, and the guys gave us access, like just to see everybody's, you know, scores. And if you're in the red for, a few days, we would just reach out. And man, you, you said it earlier, it created accountability because historically, when I was when I was living in that apartment, none of my best friends, to include my swim buddy, knew that. But I guarantee you, my biometrics were My sleep was off the charts, like, it was horrible. My heart rate variability was land. So if we had this dashboard and my swim buddy saw that, he'd be like, Johnny, what's going on? Oh, I'm good, man. No, you're not. What's going on? What, what's really going on, man? It's three days in a row. You haven't gotten any sleep. Two hours of sleep. He's like, I just, all right, I, I can't sleep. I don't know what's going on. I need to talk. Cool. Let's get you some resources, man. This is nothing to be embarrassed about. So that's how we used that wearable tech. We also introduced new modalities. So we explored the battlefield. What are the tools and resources out there? And I'm not bad-mouthing antidepressants. I'm not bad-mouthing SSRIs. It didn't seem like it was a good fit for some of the symptoms that we had, like TBI. And we wanted to measure the impact that those SSRIs were having on individuals. So let's let's explore what's out there, talk therapy, traditional medicine, et cetera. But let's look at HBOT, so the hyperbaric chambers. Let's look at, like, physical fitness. Let's look at nutrition. Let's look at everything. Let's maybe start with that before we go to the pill bottle. And that's what we did. And um, as we talked about earlier, psychedelics came into that. And I, the data is what blew my mind. I was not in that good place, did the psychedelics. I was tracking my biometrics. My heart rate variability was so bad that the team at Whoop reached out and thought something was wrong with my heart. My sleep was so bad. I was only getting 10 minutes of REM and deep sleep at night. I did one psychedelic journey. And let, before I share this, let me just say this. Psychedelics is not a panacea, Okay. Like there's various forms. We're talking about psychedelics broadly. Um, there's some we're pushing, you know, organizations like MAPS have put in tons of work and there's, uh, they're going through clinical trials right now. So, um, this is not a one size fits all, a cure pill. It's, it's not a panacea. 
Uh, for me, it's worked tremendously. I've seen it work with my friends, but I've also seen scenarios where maybe it hasn't had the outcome that that person wanted. So I want to be very clear about that. I don't want people getting super excited and going off trying to figure out how to gain access to this. Really educate yourself around that. Um, going back to the data, when I looked at the data when I came back, my heart rate variability tripled. So now it's in the 40s. Uh, my sleep in REM, uh, my deep sleep in REM sleep went from 10 minutes on average to now I do two hours a night on average, literally over the weekend. It was insane. And sleep is the key to all this, in my opinion. So now I'm sitting here like feeling better. I'm getting good night's sleep. I'm getting the right amount of sleep. Things started getting better. Uh, you know, I, I say that psychedelics gives you the ability to reassess what's going on, have different perspective and maybe change behaviors. And the second I saw the data, I was like, okay, now I can start tweaking things. Alcohol, gone. This behavior, gone. My family does love me. Maybe I go back to my family. Like, and I couldn't see that before, man. As crazy as that sounds, people were probably like, dude, are you, are you dumb? I just, I was in, I was just in those ruts, in those patterns where I couldn't break them. Mm. Amazing. And what I also like is in addition to the psychedelic therapy, which, you know, I could riff with you for hours because <laughs> I love it, but it's also the combination of the wearable tech. And then that is, in other words, what gave birth to the Envy Mind Health app yeah. and tech. Yeah. What Envy Mind Health stands for and then get into the mechanics of how the wearable tech works. Yeah, so NVINVI stands for invisible visible. So making the invisible visible using data analytics and basically what I just shared with you, the biometrics, like let's show you what's going on. And once you can see it and my like once you can see the data, once you then then we can tweak parts of that equation. So uh that's what Envy stands for. So as mentioned at the nonprofit, we had wearables on these guys that gave us access to it. We're not selling it. We're not sharing it. We're simply just trying to support our operators, prevent suicides, because you can see downtrends. Like somebody's in the red for, like, let's intervene, right? So I'm pretty confident when I say this, um, and I've had friends come up to me afterwards, like, you guys have saved our lives. Um, it's software. It's a data analytics company. We protect your information. It, we have HIPAA compliance around this stuff, uh, and we're growing every day. But our business isn't to advertise to you. We're really trying to help people with their mental health. We're really trying to save people's lives by giving you an understanding of where you're at. doesn't matter what wearable you have. Like you got a Garmin like I do and a Fitbit. Cool. If you have none, I guarantee you have one of these. You got a phone, right? So it's not going to be as accurate. But that phone collects a lot of biometrics. What we've been working on for the last year with our tech team is creating an algorithm that gives you a an assessment of well, where you're at mentally. No judgment. Your mind score, we call it a mind score, is different than mind score. We just want to show you trend lines. Are you trending up or trending down? There's a predictive component to this. If you're trending down, let's get in front of it. And that's what this does. Is like, hey, you're trending down. Maybe you should consider some of these generic solutions initially because we need to measure how those solutions impact you. In time, we have enough data, we'll be able to say, Johnny, here's the best solution for you in this scenario. And it may not be traditional medicine. It may not be psychedelics. Dude, it might be just go for a walk, go meditate. That might be all we need. We're going to tell you, we'll know in time. The other feature that we added to this, and, and I know we're getting close to time, is, and I think this is the most important. So we surveyed a hundred of my brothers and just, Hey, what's, what's exciting you about this? Is it the mind score? Is it the understanding of your analytics? It's like, oh, that's all cool. Would you use this? Uh, yeah, yeah, I think I would. I'm, I'm fascinated with improving. You say mental health, I'm out. 
Okay, fine. We'll, we'll say mental resilience. Oh, cool. You say mental resilience and optimization. I'm all in. But what they wanted, and it was almost overwhelming. It was almost a hundred percent. It was 93 out of the hundred said, if you put my teammate on there or my swim buddy on there, I'm all in because it's weird in our community, but I don't really care about how I'm doing. But if anything's wrong with you as my swim buddy, I'll drop everything and I'll fly and pick you up. So now we built in this feature where we share each other's data, creates accountability. It's like, Hey, you said you're going to work out today, man. It's like, Oh yeah, I haven't gotten to it yet. Or brother, what's going on, man? You're, you're two days in the red or, you know, your scores trending down for two days in a row. What, what's up? It's like, I don't want to, you know, I don't really want to talk about it. It's like, if you don't want to talk about it, cool, but like, let me know. I just want you to know I'm here. Make sure you're doing some of these solutions that are getting recommended by the machine learning so we can improve that score, get back to baseline. That I thought was the coolest part because when the mind score shows up at a certain rate, your phone rings. And man, if that's not the thing, I got a buddy of mine right now going through quite a tough patch with his own health and um, mm-hmm. cancer related. And like I'd said, there's moments when I just think out of nowhere, I need to call him. I'm not even going on data. I'm just going on the fact that, you know, I love my brother, Matt shout out. Um, but he, I'll occasionally just text him some weird, goofy gif of people dancing or, you know, I don't know, somebody falling off a bike and hurting himself. Just he's something that I know we'd both goof on and find funny, but I do that. I connect with him. And you've said it a couple of times in the interview, swim buddy, mass, my radio homie, you guys have swim buddies. What does that mean exactly for the layman out there? Yeah. Yeah. So in the SEAL team is when you first show up, they line you up in height order. Um, the person next to you is your swim buddy. If you get six feet away from that person, the instructors beat the living out of you. And what they're trying to reinforce is you'd never leave a man behind. Something were to happen to him on the battlefield, it's beaten into us, literally beaten into us. Well, we're going to be that close where we realize something just happened. Our swim buddy, we can pull him off target. Same concept here. If you want a swim buddy, maybe it is Matt. Maybe for me, it's my wife. I don't know if she, I want her to have my mind health data. She might like be like, I told you so. You but didn't sleep that, last night. You yeah. didn't wear your CPAP. See, I told yeah, you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I told you. I told you you shouldn't have eaten uh, the, the porterhouse last night. Um, whoever it is, great. And then if we want to do fire teams too, like if you want to have, and we're just playing off of the words that we knew to use in the military, right? Like fire teams, you got like four or five guys in there. It creates this like, you know, just, Maybe we can support each other through these trying times. No judgment. We're all going to go through it. We're all going to have highs and lows. So when we do have our lows as a team, we collectively, like we did on the battlefield, pick each other up. Right now, in my opinion, there's too much stigma around all this, man. You and I, five years ago, would never have talked about our mental health. We'd be at a cocktail party, maybe going through a divorce right now. Best friends went to college together, whatever it may be. And you're like, hey, Johnny, how you doing? I'm great, dude. Literally going through a divorce, literally moved out of my house. Everything's fine, man. Oh, I'm working out. You know, I just wrapped up Oxford, by the way. Um, obviously, you can tell by my tweed coat. And uh, and then, you know, sipping on our martinis. And the reality is, is everything is concave and everything's falling apart. But we just, there's too much stigma around it. And brother, 80% of the suicides in this country are males. Not to dismiss all the other suicides, but like there's this machismo, this alpha culture. We got to break that down. I think that's the other opportunity we have. If we show the world, like the military, the team guys, just the military in general is talking about their mental health and willing to support each other. I think we have an opportunity to show others that look up to us, like, you know, adolescents, teens, other communities are like, wait a second, if the SEALs are talking about their mental health, maybe we can too. 
So yeah. again, like the mission is to save lives and we're going to do everything in our power to, to figure this problem. It's not an easy problem. It's not. And this isn't a medical device. Like we do have ambitions down the road of FDA approval, but right now we want to get this in the hands of users. We're, we're considering this a wellness device. Uh, your mind score is giving you trend lines and signals and signals are good enough for you and me as somebody to check in on one another. And it's that interaction that is crucial and it becomes cliche when you hear all the PSAs and all the well-intentioned actors and actresses and artists and musicians and people that go on TV, you know, it's okay not to be okay. No, there's got to be actually something. I know it's okay, yeah. and I know I yeah. ain't okay, but I need a tactile, actionable thing to do, and I think that's what Envy Mind Health does. It's an app. It matches with a wearable that you can track your physical well-being, and it is also the connectivity of somebody else you know that loves you, cares about you, and is in your group and feels it too. And I think that that's what's just so rad. Um, we talk about trying to get, of course, the wearable technology and the patents and getting it all into market. Um, I also really hope for the future that you guys are able to get in the face of VA and because VA's fallback is always, well, Congress says, we, well, Congress, we, we yeah. can only do what Congress says. I hope you guys can get in the face of some senators and get some of those old guys in ties to really buy in because I'm sick of this Nixon era yeah. perspective that's like, well, schedule one. Well, I'm again, I don't know what that is. Are you a hippie? No, man. We're trying to find <laughs> ways to treat our brains without pharmacology. And you guys have found a really cool way. How do I learn more about Envy Mind Health and this app, again, this technology uh, and, and, and this way we're addressing mental resilience? First, let me know where I can send the check uh, to. So for that marketing pitch right there, that was amazing. Um, <laughs> but if you go to the website, inbimh.com, so that's inbimh.com, uh, you can kind of track what we got going on there. We'll start posting all the podcasts that we've been doing. So you mentioned some names. We're going to be hopping on those guys' podcasts at some point as well, um, some of the former SEALs and and other veterans uh, and then some of the human performance guys in the space as well that, that we've gotten to know over the years. I think we have some really amazing tools out there. We need to understand how we can use them, um, be it psychedelics, be it technology. Um, the, the old system, and again, I'm not trying to bash it. It is slow. It's archaic. And we have some new problems and symptoms. And with suicides happening at the rate that they're happening in my community and just in general, like, you know, we talk about, We've heard 22 a day, but that's not counting some of the folks that, you know, have drunk and, you know, drank themselves to death, et cetera. So that number is closer to 40 veterans a day. That's insanity. We got to do something different. So I would just say, if you want to learn more about psychedelics specifically, uh, there's a couple great organizations to look at. One is maps.org. And so all the research is on there. Check out the different plant medicines out there. Understand the research around that and where they're focused on. And then a, a veteran organization. So there's going to be two. One is Heroic Hearts, um, and they're doing great things. And maybe at some point you can have his name's Jesse, the former Army Ranger. Although I don't know if you want Army guys on the podcast. Um, <laughs> there's um, such a rivalry. If you don't already know this, a, a Navy SEAL will never, never leave out the fact that if he's in a room with an Army Ranger, that he's better. But it, you know. oh, yeah, hundred percent. At least the hair's better. Um, and then the other is my wife. So my wife, when she got back, um, 
from her, her, her medicine journey, she started an organization to help the women in the space. So veterans, uh, spouses of veterans, uh, first responders, and her organization is the hopeproject.org. And, uh, she's partnered with Heroic Hearts. They're doing great things, but maybe go to one of those sites and, and you can reach out to me too. I mean, I don't know if that's uh, appropriate or not, but I'm, I'm happy to, to, to build an army behind something that we believe in. Right on. And again, links to all this we'll put in the show notes on the podcast version of this. You can just scroll through uh, the show notes there and I'll make that very accessible. But Envy Mind Health, uh, incredible resource that you guys are beta testing, getting ready to find a way to deliver this, not just to the SEAL community and the veteran community, but just this will help those that have endured trauma in their lives and that are suffering uh, because it's more than a it's more than a PSA. We need to look yeah. at what actually is working inside the body on a cellular level. And I've had every expert that comes on this show, MAPS included, the Multidisciplinary Association of yeah. Psychedelic Studies. Uh, I've had several people on this show, and they all get at the cellular level, whether it's the brain synapses mm-hmm. being triggered from the psychedelics, whether it's monitoring mm-hmm. on a cellular level how someone's actually doing, like Envy Mind Health can do. Um, these are all the bold steps we have to take because life is hard and there are things out there that can help. We do not just simply need to dive into a pill bottle to fix everything. So uh, I can't thank you enough, man. It's been a pleasure getting to know you. Former SEAL Jonathan Wilson, just just really good, brother. You're going to be back on the show again as this thing evolves and as MD Mind Health takes its next step to being released to the public. But uh, just good to know you, man. I can't wait to you know yeah. get together with you. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, grateful for the opportunity, man. Thank you for everything you're doing. Thank you for the service, but then the continued service around this. This is meaningful work that you're doing. I'm just grateful to be a part of it. And use me however you see fit. I absolutely mean that, man. However I can help you in, in the messaging and getting the word out, let me know. Rock and roll. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to Ion Veterans ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. Or you can listen ad-free with Wondery Plus in Apple Podcasts. Before you go, tell us about yourself by completing a short survey at Wondery.com survey. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Coriant has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Coriant has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Coriant's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Coriant.com. The Hargan women seemed to have it all. We were blessed. My mom was amazing. But detectives would soon discover... Inside the house, there were the bodies of two women. A story of betrayal you would struggle to believe if it wasn't true. I am just praying to God, this is a sick joke. From 48 Hours, this is Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings. 
Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings, starting May 8th, wherever you get your podcasts.